1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. That word ignorant means uninformed. I would not have you ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. Skip down to verse 4. Now there are diversity of gifts, but the same Lord, or but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. I have a question for you. I want you to ponder it. Don't take too long. What's the purpose of spiritual gifts? Think about that for a minute. What's the purpose of spiritual gifts? You can write it on your notepad if you want. I don't know that there's a wrong answer. There could be, I guess. One thing the scripture tells us that we read in verse 7 is that the gifts are to profit with all. The purpose, the primary purpose of gifts is to profit with all for the edification of the body, making increase of itself in love, the scripture tells us. Increase of the body, not increase of individual persons. The body of Christ. That's the purpose. Here's a question for you. Maybe you won't have to ponder so much. Who gives the gifts? Where do they come from? The very Spirit of God, right? Verse 8 and 9 that we just read. And verse 10, even though it doesn't say it, it's implied because of verse 8 and 9. Verse 8 says, to one is given by the Spirit, to another by the same Spirit. Verse 9, to another by the same Spirit, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. So we see this. It is the Spirit that gives the gifts. I know this is simple. Stay with me. It's the Spirit of God that gives the gifts of the Spirit. That's why they're gifts of the Spirit. Now... Here's a question. Who operates the gifts? Sort of a trick question. It's a trick question. Verse 11. Maybe you can put that back up there. All these worketh that one and the self-same Spirit. I want you to catch this. This is so important. We do not operate the gifts according to the Word of God. 
Now, don't check out just yet. Don't get worried. We'll explain this. But this is so important for the flow and the operation of spiritual gifts through our life, which is what God wants to do. I want you to notice, but all these, notice that word worketh. Who worketh? That one and the selfsame spirit. That word worketh there, I can't speak Greek, but the word is energio. No surprise, it's where we get our word energy from. But all these energio, that word energio is operative and to effect. All these are made operative and effectual. So the spirit operates. Again, I know this is simple, but I'm realizing as I'm reading this, and I, if you would have asked me a week ago who operates them, I would have said we do as believers. I have a different vantage point now based on the way the Lord has been talking to me. This is why we struggle to operate in spiritual gifts. We think we operate them. And therefore, we disqualify ourselves or we have pride that gets in the way or we, we determine how they operate. But the word is clear. They're given by the Spirit and the Spirit is what makes them operative and in effect. So then what are we? We are the conduit through which the Spirit operates. We recognize this is a gift of the Spirit. It is the Spirit that's operating. I'm simply the vessel that the Spirit of God is choosing to use. So I don't take credit. I don't get lifted up when God uses me to lay hands on someone and they're healed. I don't think, wow, look at who I... See, none of that comes into play because I understand according to the Word of God. The Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit come from the Spirit of God and they operate by the Spirit of God. He just said, if I would position myself, posture myself in relationship to him, then those gifts he would choose to give would flow through me. And when I recognize that, I stop going, well, I don't know if anything happened or not. I'm not concerned with that. If I've been in tune with the spirit and I know I've received of the spirit and I know the spirit of God is trying to operate, I simply yield. I don't feel any pressure for the outcome. I don't feel any pressure either way. I'm simply the conduit. He's the one that gives the gift. He's the one that operates and makes the gift effectual. I simply just seek to be in tune with His Spirit and available when He says, Now. You see the dramatic difference? There is no pressure. There's only responsibility. And the responsibility is to be in tune and fellowship with the Spirit of God. Daily. 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 Pray with me right now before we go further. We need to receive this. He's wanting to use us. He's wanting to use us. He's seeking empty vessels, not a few. He's seeking empty vessels, not a few. No credit, Lord. No attention drawn to self, God forbid. But I pray to be a conduit according to your choosing how you will in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.
So all those gifts we read there, the Spirit of God gives them, and the Spirit of God operates them. All right, skip down with me. Same chapter to verse 31. Notice what the Apostle Paul said to the church. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Do you believe the Word of God? You want to obey the Word of God? Okay, the Word of God says that you and I should covet earnestly the best gifts. Every spirit-filled child of God should covet earnestly the best gifts. There's not a one of us that's placed here to simply maintain and exist. The Word declares we are to covet earnestly the best gifts. What does that mean, covet earnestly? Well, I'm glad you asked. To covet earnestly. Again, I don't speak Greek. The word is zelo or something like that. It looks like Z-E-L-O-O. Here's what it literally means. It's where we get our word zeal from. It means that covet earnestly means to burn with zeal, to desire earnestly, to pursue, to strive after, to exert one's self. That's how you're supposed to go after the gifts. You should burn with a zeal. This is, I want the gifts operating through this vessel. You should pursue them. You should strive after them. I, you and I should exert ourselves. How do we do that? By going after the gift? By going after the giver. By going after the giver. Somebody hear me. We go after the giver. That's where we get in trouble. That's where people get tripped up. That's how people fall into familiar spirits and, and the adversary does something. They think, ooh, look, I got this gift. No, what happened is the adversary deceived you and you're going to get lifted up with pride and then you're going to get cut low. But if I go after the giver, I go after the giver, seeking his will and purpose, pursue it's okay to go after the giver and say, I want the gifts of your spirit operating through my life. I want you operating them in and through me. But remember, it's the giver. He that cometh to God must first believe that God is. And that He is a what? A rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You know what that tells me? If you will pursue with zeal, if you will earnestly desire, if you will strive after Him, that's diligently seeking Him. He's a rewarder. He likes to reward you. I'm afraid sometimes our humanity, never our humanity, always our humanity doesn't want to diligently seek. But if we can get in tune with His Spirit and get a taste of the Lord and see that He is good, there will be something that will consume us and we will diligently pursue and He will reward. 
not just for our benefit, God forbid. So covet earnestly. The best gifts. Well, what's the best gifts? What's best? I'm glad you asked. Best simply means in this context, more useful or more serviceable. What does that mean? Well, I heard one man say it. I think it was Brother Ellis many years ago said to me, the best gifts are the ones that are needed at the moment where you are. The best gift is the one needed at the moment where you are. How do you find out which one's needed at the moment where you are? You seek the giver of the gift. You seek the giver of the gift. He'll give you a word of knowledge. And you'll know. He'll give you, he'll give you the word of wisdom and you'll know what to say. He may operate in gifts of healing and you'll know what to pray. Covet earnestly the best gifts. But notice... So all of us should be coveting earnestly. Now, that's not just like, okay, I do. I covet earnestly. Oh, no, no. It comes through an action in pursuit of the giver. It's revealed in pursuit of the giver. But notice, oh, I'm really trying to move on to the next line, but I keep getting caught here. How old should you be before you start coveting earnestly? Just wondering. I remember some of you heard this story, but it's quickened my spirit again. It was the last night of a week-long lockup. Not not in jail. <laughs> what's a different word? What's what do they call that? Lock in. Thank you. That, not lock up. Sorry. You want to get some rumors started? A week-long lock-in where we locked into a building, about 120 of us. We locked into a building for five days, slept there. There were showers. We showered there, stayed there. First night, they took our watches. I think we got to keep our phones, but back then we didn't have smartphones, so they weren't good for much except a phone call. And uh, I don't even know if you could text unless you did that old nine thing text where you had to punch a button three times to get to the third letter, and then it was like that. <laughs> Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about, kids. But it was the last night. It was the last night of that week. I was laying on the floor in the altar. Maybe I wasn't laying. I think I was kneeling on my, and on my hands and knees and on my face. I felt like I'd emptied out anything and everything I ever had in me. Someone came up and laid their hands on my back and began to pray for me. And as they began to pray for me, I thought my insides were going to burst with the conviction and the intercession. And the, I went in the prayer and the groaning that began to come out of me as they prayed. And I, I thought, man, you, you got to stop sooner or later. I'm going to die right here on this floor physically. And they kept praying and, and it would let up and then they'd start praying again. And I, I, there was such a deep move of the spirit happening in my life that only God knows. And, and they, this went on for, and it seemed like a long, long time. Probably wasn't as long as it sent, but I was, anyway, you get the point. They finished. I could tell they were done, and they turned. You know, when something like that happens, you sort of want to see who. 
right? That's not God. That's just a little bit of your car. Or maybe you just like, you want to connect somehow. You're like, I got to connect with whatever that just was. I got to connect. I turned and looked and there was a boy walking away from me. A young boy, not even a teen yet. I found him after service. I want to introduce myself and I want to know about this kid. He was 10 years old. He was 10 years old. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Somewhere along the way, he'd gotten fellowship with the giver. And he came and prayed. He wasn't worried about, oh, I'm 10, I'm 50, I've got all this. He just simply had learned that. Seems like when I pray, the Spirit of God seems to put something into effect, and I'm not trying to produce anything. I'm just yielding to the giver. And the Lord used him, and he prayed for me. And I have been forever marked by that 10-year-old boy's prayers. Many of you have met him. He came and preached for us several years ago when he was 30-something with Isaac Middleton. And it's just beautiful how God can connect lives, isn't it? Probably shouldn't have told you his name. We're not lifting up people, but I thank God for his work and the way God uses people. The point is, I don't care if you're five years old or if you're 105 years old. It's available to those that covet earnestly. Young man, young lady, what do you covet earnestly? What do you pursue after? What do you pursue after? God can and will and desires to use you in the spiritual gifts. You don't earn them. You simply seek after him, and then he gives. You don't earn a gift. Then it's not a gift. But you pursue the giver, and he says, oh, I'd like to give them this gift. He's a rewarder. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And Jesus, pause, announcement right here in the middle of all this. Young people, starting in February, for our youth, we will have a class every other Thursday night. The youth will leave the sanctuary and go downstairs, and there will be a separate class for our youth every other Thursday night, starting February the 2nd. Praise God. First Corinthians, still. Chapter 13. See, see, here's what we're doing. We just finished chapter 12. That was the last verse of chapter 12. We're going right into chapter 13. Man put the chapter numbers there. Paul just wrote one letter here. Covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. So now he's going to show us a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Notice what he just did in those first two verses. He named several spiritual gifts in operation. 
And he said, though I have the spiritual gift in operation through me as a vessel, if I don't have love, I'm sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. And finally, he said, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I even give my body to be burned, and I have not charity, it profits me nothing. Love is a more excellent way. Love is a more excellent way. Stay with me. We're going to come back there. Chapter 14. Aren't you glad we're moving so quick? You can go back and read all these, 12, 13, and 14. Verse 1. I just want you to see the first line there. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts. So he closed out, well, the way they put the chapters. Chapter 12 closed out with covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So we have this charge as children of God filled with the Spirit to covet earnestly. I told you what that means. Then we see the more excellent way all the way through chapter 13. He talks about this love operating in our life and gives us all those attributes of that love that I have not yet attained fully. I'm striving. You know that love, that, that's, not, that's not human. That's not human love in 1 Corinthians 13. If you try to love like that in your humanity, you will fall short every time. I'll show you where you can get it, though. Just hang with me. But then, after all that about love or charity, he comes to chapter 14, and he brings people back. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts. Because he didn't want them to take the idea that once he shared everything that we see in chapter 13, that, okay, I should pursue love, but discard spiritual gifts. We should have both. Both. What does it mean to follow after? Love or charity. Doesn't just mean like, I'm following after it. That's not what that word means. It literally means to run after, to follow after, to seek after eagerly, earnestly endeavor to acquire. When's the last time you went to a prayer meeting and said, God, I am earnestly endeavoring to acquire the kind of love I read about? In 1 Corinthians 13. I want you to honestly think about that. When's the last time you went and prayed earnestly pursuing chapter 13 love? Oh no, I got a whole list of things, but I, I don't know that I'm coming to my prayer meeting and, and earnestly pursuing and strongly following after seeking eagerly and running after this in my prayer. But that's what Paul said, follow after. That's the word he used, charity, and desire spiritual gifts. Now, he told us to covet earnestly in chapter 12 and desire here at chapter 14. Why man did it this way, I don't know. But that word desire there, it's the exact same Greek word as, earn it, uh, as covet earnestly. Same exact word used in both places. So I won't repeat all that. Burning with zeal, 
pursuing. Go with me to the book of Galatians. Chapter 3. I love hearing so many pages turning. That's beautiful. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. I had the privilege of being a Bible study with Brother Lewis and Sister Julie and Brother Sinto and the Riojas and Brother Joel Garcia and Brother Sinto's dad and Jose and Lupe Sanchez down in Mattawa. Brother Lewis taught us about the seed. It's a good thing they read a lot of scripture in those because it was all in Spanish, and my Spanish is not quite there yet. I can follow in the scripture, and I can tune in with the Spirit. But the Lord has continued to deal with me about some of the things that were already on my heart in some ways that I shared with them. And, and so I went back, and I was digging in Galatians again this week. And I'm sure I've read this before because I've probably read the book of Galatians 100 or 200 times. But somehow I just missed this. Galatians 3, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. So, Paul is drawing a distinction between multiple seeds and a single seed. You see that? Somebody lost in the King James English. Like, what? Why didn't he just say that? <laughs> Paul brought out that distinction. It's like he's teaching from Moses' law. He, he's, he's telling them, I want you to see something Moses said. He didn't say seeds. He said seed. And to thy seed. Who's the seed? Who's the seed? Christ, I'm pointing back there like y'all are looking at that screen back there, which is Christ. Christ is the seed. Yes, Jesus Christ is the seed from which everything else springs. That's why we can say we are his offspring. I want you to watch this. Verse 29, skip down there. I'm hurrying. We're skipping so much good stuff. And if, everybody say if. If you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's what? Seed. seed. Not seeds. And heirs according to the promise. That's why when you are filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you are no longer just an individual. You are now a part of the body of Christ. Christ is the seed. You got that? Okay. Man, we're just skipping some. Chapter 5. I'm hurrying. No, I do. Oh, now I do. Galatians 5, verse 22. Hearing pages, so I'm waiting. All right. I know we read this last week, but that's okay. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Oh, there's that word again. I have a question for you. Where does fruit come from? Where? Seed. Seed produces fruit. Brother Lewis read it in the Bible study from Genesis the other night. In creation, the Lord created. I should have just went and read it because I'm going to mess it all up. But fruit bearing seed that yielded seed after its kind. And right, you've heard that before in Genesis 1. And seed produces fruit, and then the fruit has seed in itself, and that seed in the fruit can be planted and produce more fruit, and the fruit that's produced has seed in it. You can take that seed and plant it. It will produce more fruit. There's this perpetual. Fruit has seed in it. And fruit comes from seed. Christ is the seed, and if you are Christ, you are his seed and heirs according to the promise given Abraham thousands of years ago that in your name, through you, all nations of the earth shall be blessed, and you will possess the gates of your enemies. We always leave that part off. I like adding that on there. Now, watch. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. We just talked on that in chapter 13. Covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. If I don't have love, I'm sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. I'm nothing. So I need at least the first fruit of the Spirit. At a minimum, you need the first one. Now, it's interesting, if we would have went to the end, I, sh I should have jumped down there, but I didn't. 1 Corinthians 13 and 13 says, But now abideth faith, hope, and charity. But the greatest of these is charity. Now watch. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Oh, look, faith happens to be one of the fruits of the Spirit, too. You know what? There is a difference between the gift of faith that we read in 1 Corinthians 12, and the fruit of faith. What's the difference? You can have a gift of faith given you in a moment. You're like, man, faith just rose up in me, and I have experienced it. But the fruit of faith comes by getting some seed in your spirit. It comes from the Spirit of God. And even in the midst of trials and tests and storms and downfalls and circumstances not going your way, faith doesn't waver. That's not a gift of faith. That's the fruit of faith. That's something that's been produced in your life by the Word of God. Because faith, that kind of faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of the Lord. Now watch. Next verse. We're still talking about fruit of the Spirit. Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk 
in the Spirit. Let us not be, this verse is important, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Why in the world, what does that verse have to do with everything else? I'll tell you exactly what I believe it has to do with it. If the fruit of the Spirit is an operation in our life, or the fruit of the Spirit is an operation in someone else's life, I will never use the fruit of the Spirit to draw attention to myself. I will never use the fruit of the Spirit to chastise someone else. This Spirit, this Spirit, this Scripture speaks, I believe, of the spirit of competition that can enter in when we begin talking about people growing in Christ and beginning to measure among themselves. Paul said, don't be desirous of vainglory. Don't pursue the fruits of the Spirit so you can be seen of men. Don't pursue the fruit of the Spirit in your life so people will say, oh, look at them. They're just so full of love and joy. They should say that. We are not in competition. We are not in competition in any way, shape, or form, or fashion. We're not looking for stories of one-upmanship. That's different than multiple testimonies. Say, man, I got to tell you what God's done for me. Let me tell you what God's done for me. And you know in your spirit if it's about trying to one-up them, or if it's a genuine sharing between a brother and a sister and an exhorting encouraging of one another. Don't be desirous of vainglory. Don't provoke one another. Don't envy one another. Paul felt it necessary to remind us of that after telling us about the fruit of the Spirit. I believe if the fruit of the Spirit is operative in our life, is present in our life, we won't do those things. So how do I get the fruit? Two questions. Number one, I had questions about gifts. I've got questions about fruit. Question number one, what is the purpose of fruit? Absolutely right. I didn't tell him the answer before class, I promise. But I have it written right here. Feed. That's exactly right. The purpose of fruit is to feed people. It's not to sit on a little bowl and look nice and go bad. Guilty. It's to feed people. It's to eat. We need the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's to feed people, Brother Joel. Somebody hear me. I can't feed people with spiritual gifts. The Lord may do a miracle, but they could die of starvation. There must be spiritual fruit. Oh, how often we pursue gifts 
And we should. We've read it. We talked about it. Covet earnestly. Covet earnestly. Desire spiritual gifts. But we skip over follow after charity. Question number two. I'm trying to stay on task here. Who gives fruit? comes from the very Spirit of God. But that was sort of a trick question because I want you to think about this. Fruit is not given. It's not a gift. You know why we seek gifts? Just because of that. It's a gift. If I were to give this to you, I'm not doing that. I started getting attached to this thing. I'm, I'm a marketer now for digital notepads, I think. I just, no notifications, no internet, no apps, no nothing. It's just a notebook, but I can write on it. I don't have to have 20 notebooks. If I were to hand this to you and say, I really, this is a gift. You're loving that, man. That's great. Anybody got, ever got a gift before and you're like, I got a gift on my arm right there. Somebody gave me that. I thank God for them every day when I use it. I usually don't have it on during church. You probably notice I usually have a different one on, but, but I've got it silenced now, so it doesn't do anything. I don't get zapped in the middle of service. We thank God for gifts. The fruit of the Spirit is produced in a life. Now, when someone is filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the very Spirit of God that gives the gifts of the Spirit, whereby the fruit of the Spirit comes from, when someone is filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, it's not uncommon at all. Matter of fact, it's very common that they feel many, if not all, of those fruits of the Spirit. Man, I just feel so much love. I just feel so much joy. What is that? You are identifying with the fruit of the Spirit. But that doesn't automatically mean, oh, now all the fruit's operating in my life. I got all the fruit in my life. Hopefully you continue to pursue the Spirit of God, the one to whom the fruit, by whom the fruit is produced. It's not a gift. It's produced. And the only way fruit can be produced in your life and mine is by fellowshipping the Spirit. You and I must spend time with the Spirit of God. There is no other way for the fruit of the Spirit to be in our lives. You know what's frustrating? is trying to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. When I haven't spent time with God, I haven't been fellowshipping him, haven't been building that relationship. I haven't become a vessel wherein his fruit would grow. But then I know I'm supposed to. And so I try to, in my humanity, manifest some fruit. Just stop doing that. 
Well, maybe not stop because it might be the only thing keeping you from killing somebody. But <laughs> too many people laugh like that's true. <laughs> There's no substitute for time with him. There isn't. But if we fellowship the spirit continually. The fruit of the spirit is produced in us. Follow after charity, one of the fruits. And desire spiritual gifts. Don't get the gifts ahead of the fruit. Because by God's design, it's the reason chapter 13 is between 12 and 14 in 1 Corinthians, I believe, with all of my heart. What Paul was trying to tell the church is that the gifts of the Spirit are meant to and designed to operate through the fruit of the Spirit. A word of knowledge through someone who does not have the fruit of the Spirit can be so damaging and destructive to a life. But a word of knowledge through someone that has the fruit of the Spirit in their life can be healing and restorative and miraculous in a life. Why is this so critical? Because of where we are and how God desires to use every single one of us that will say, yes, Lord, I'm pursuing diligently, diligently. I have faith, and so I'm diligently pursuing you, and I know your reward according to that which you know I need. But God, my first pursuit is the fruit, and I'm praying for the gifts, but I want fruit because fruit feeds people. Fruit gives to the hungry. Fruit is what feeds a lost and starving world. And the reality of Scripture is that these two are meant to operate together. They are meant to operate together. The fruit of the Spirit produced in your life and mine opens an avenue whereby God says, the gifts of the Spirit, I can let operate them through that vessel because I recognize the fruit that's produced in that vessel from time with me and fellowship with me and my spirit. And thereby, I can now operate the gift through their life. And what happens? You come in contact with someone. And how is it that someone would open up to you because they recognize fruit and they're hungry. We want to wow somebody with a gift. If the fruit is present in our life, I promise you the hungry soul will find you. If the fruit of the Spirit is manifested through my life, the hungry soul will gravitate to you. They're looking for food, not natural food. Their soul hungers spiritually and they don't even know it. But there must be something for them to eat. And so our life must get in fellowship and communion with God like you have committed yourself to this week. You say, oh no, are you telling me i got to fast every day? No. But there's got to be a consecration and a dedication that says, I'm getting in fellowship with God. I'm getting in fellowship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, His very Spirit. I'm getting in fellowship with Him because I want the fruit of His Spirit produced in my life. 
Christ is the seed. No seed, no fruit. And oh, by the way, you don't get the seed and throw it in the ground and then go out tomorrow and grab fruit off the tree. That's what we want. That's gifts. You put the seed in the ground. It dies. That's already happened. Christ died. We have to go through the process too. We have to die. We are his seed. We have to go through the same process. And when we die, we bring forth much fruit. Why do I feel this is so critical right at this very moment in time? Because of the doors that have been opened to us and that are open to every one of you that will walk in the spirit. I'm telling you. I am telling you what we have entered into collectively with the Lord this week has broken doors open. And we can't think, oh, I got this now. I'll walk out. No, no, no. I'll tell you what we need. We need to get in the closet with the Spirit of God. We need to fellowship Him. And we need the fruit of the Spirit to be so produced in our life that whomever we come in contact with, the hunger can't help but saying, I need what you have. I want what you have. They're not looking at gifts when they say that. They're looking at fruit. And what happens, they're drawn to you and I, simply the vessel. Simply the vessel. Because of fruit and their hunger. And we give of the fruit freely you receive, freely give. We give of the fruit and they're fed, but then they have a need in their life. And we operate in the spiritual gifts as needed, as the Lord chooses. And we can pray a prayer of faith. We can speak a word of wisdom. God can use us in some way in their life that they recognize. There's more than just food there. There's some supernatural working beyond what I even imagined. And they hear or receive of you from a spiritual gift as well. And it opens the door for one sole purpose, that they would hear the gospel and be reconciled to God and rescued from a lost, dying world that is damned if they not find and be reconciled to Him. I want the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I desire it, and the only way I know to get it is to get in fellowship with Him, with His Word. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. It's time. All of these things I'm finishing here. All of these things. For the fruit to manifest itself. And for the spirit to operate gifts through our life. There are many factors, but there's one that I believe is critical. 
I'm sure they're all critical. There's one that stands out to me. Humility. 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 Christ humbled himself, took on the form of a servant. Humility is not walking around like, oh, I'm just nobody. Christ didn't walk around like that, did he? Oh, no, he walked in authority, spiritual authority, not human authority. We need humility 